When I was eight years old, I got introduced to the Star Wars universe. And that universe has some of the most iconic characters ever imagined. Here's how they appeared in that very first movie, the one that came out in 1977. If you recognize any of these characters, this is our interactive portion here. Um, just go ahead and shout out their names. So here's our first character. You might recognize this. Shout it out if you know. Darth Vader. Very good. All right, how about this one? C-3PO, you're two for two. And next? Han Solo. Han Solo. And who's else? Princess Leia. Leia. All right, got a couple more. Can we shoot up this group? Stormtrooper. You guys got this. How about this one? Chewie. Chewie. even know his nickname. You're like personal relationship with Chewie here. All right, and then uh, how about this one? All right, two more. We got the? Jawas. All right, and, oh, you guys, you got three more, or two more now. This one is? All right, and here's the one we wanted to end with. They remember this guy. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Now, I'm going to say a little bit more about this last character. Back when I was eight, I was not much of an Obi-Wan Kenobi fan. I had all of one movie to watch, and this guy didn't impress me all that much. Um, character didn't seem to have a lot of what the other characters had. In fact, in that first movie, I think Obi-Wan was only one for two in lightsaber fights. <laughs> and there's probably a really bad dad joke about the first opponent, opponent being quickly unarmed, but we'll move on. As the Star Wars saga unfolded, we got to know Obi-Wan better as this whole story unfolded. In fact, a whole new series launched this weekend featuring Obi-Wan Kenobi. And so we've got this whole backstory and then story, all of this happening that uh, we got to know him better. Obi-Wan plays a very important role, very important role in the Star Wars universe. He was part of an exclusive order called the Jedi. And a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, those Jedi, they were keepers of peace and justice. Obi-Wan was wise. Obi-Wan was courageous. He was well-networked, he was respected, he was a Jedi master. And one of the most important things that Obi-Wan did is he discipled younger Jedis in the ways of the Force. Why are we talking about Obi-Wan here at church? In real life, wouldn't it be great if every one of us had our own Obi-Wan? Imagine that with our faith. If every one of us had someone who knew everything there was to know, someone who could do everything that we needed to do, and they had all the time just to follow us around or we followed them to teach us the ways. Wouldn't that be great? If all of us who want to be disciples of Christ had somebody who could mentor us in those ways, that could answer us like Obi-Wan, our questions, that could show us how do you really connect with God, that could teach us how to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit, that'd be great. But there's a problem with this, isn't there? Among other, there's a whole bunch of problems. But if you're taking notes, I invite you to write this problem down. The Obi-Wan model of discipleship requires a lot of what? Obi-Wan's. The Obi-Wan model of discipleship requires a whole lot of Obi-Wans. And today, when it comes to Christianity, Obi-Wan mentors are harder to find than toilet paper was back in 2020. Right? 
Today is the final week of a teaching series that was designed, crafted, to help people discover a deeper, more meaningful walk with God. In week one of this series, we introduced you to a, a tool that hopefully is familiar now, if you've been joining us for the series, these continuums. These continuums are designed to try to be a tool that can help us identify six core practices for those of us who want to be like Jesus, who want to be a disciple of Jesus. We tried to identify some milestones that can help mark along the way, are we growing? Are we becoming the people that, that, this, that Jesus had a vision and he cast that we could be if we want to be his disciples? So much of what we consider good in this world is a direct result of more people becoming more like Jesus of Nazareth. And throughout this series, we've tried to cast this vision, can you imagine if more of us were moving along in these areas? Imagine if more of us were becoming connected like a close-knit family. Imagine if more of us were serving the way that Jesus modeled and taught. Imagine if more of us were joyful stewards of everything God's entrusted to us. Imagine if every single person was an advocate for somebody else who needed help. And imagine if all of us were all in on the next generation. In this series, what we did then is we zeroed in on just one of the continuums, just one of the continuums, the discover continuum is what we've been focusing on. And in week one, we invited everybody, wherever you are on that journey, don't stay stuck. That's our invitation from that first. And this is, this is for you and for our world. Don't stay stuck. In week two, we dedicated that week to those who would say, okay, on this continuum, yeah, I'm right around that not interested part. And we said, let's take a closer look at the interesting. In week three, we dedicated that to those who would say, okay, I'm curious. And we encourage you to take your next step of faith. Take that step of faith. Get on that plane. We said, board that plane. Week four was dedicated to those who say, okay, well, all right, how do I know if I'm in Christ? That, that key part, that milestone in the middle, how do I know if I'm, I'm there? And we explored these in Christ moments and next steps that the Holy Spirit uses to unlock more and more levels. And then last week, last week was dedicated to those who recognize, all right, the good news is too good to keep to ourselves, but how do I share this in a way that doesn't come across as forced or awkward for everybody? How, how can I share my faith in a way that's actually helpful, that even sounds like good news? So that's where we've been. Here's where we're going with the last week of this series. Today, final week of this series, it's dedicated to those who've heard of Jesus' great commission. Where he said, okay, if you're going to be my disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, does anybody know? Everything that I've taught you. So we've got this challenge before us. If that's where you are, this is who today is for, that's where you're at. You're like, okay, I'm a disciple. Here's my great commission. How do I inspire those who aren't interested? To become less closed and to open their minds and their hearts to what Jesus modeled and taught? How do I help those who are curious to be less ambivalent and to take that step, take that step of faith, board that plane? How do we give people freedom to be less doctrinaire when it comes to exactly what precise moment 
and get fixated on that. What was my precise moment where I became in Christ? Instead to go, am I following Jesus? Am I becoming more like him each day? Do I know him better? Am I following him more closely? And then helping those who say, okay, I want to become a purposeful witness, helping them and equipping them. To be able to say, here's how you can hear the voice of the Holy Spirit and respond. Today is dedicated to those of you who want to say yes to the Great Commission. You're saying, I'm in, but you're like, I'm not sure how. How do I do that? In your notes, we included a question that a whole lot of people have when they reach this point in the, in the continuum and in their walk with God. Here's the question. How can I be an effective disciple maker when there's still so much to learn? How do I do this? Okay, I'm in, because Jesus, you said, do this. How can I do it? I'm not an Obi-Wan when it comes to faith. I, I don't feel equipped to say, here, follow me as I follow Jesus. I don't know almost all there is to know. I'm not as skilled as I wish I were in the ways of the Spirit. I wish I was. But I'm, if I'm honest, I'm not. I've got so many questions. I have so many struggles. I have so far to go. I don't know how to do all those things that you just said. It was really easy for me to come up with all this because I feel this way a lot. If you're feeling that, I've got good news for you. I've got good news for us. The best disciple makers are those who don't think they have it all figured out. Best disciples makers are those who don't try to go alone. The world needs more people who can speak Jesus into this world. Into addictions, anxiety, depression, brokenness, evil, violence. People who can offer real hope. Not just hang in there, it's going to get better. Who can offer real hope when things aren't getting better. Real healing real lasting peace. What hope is there for a world where there's so few people who are equipped to be Obi-Wans and do that style of discipleship? All right, let's devote our last message in this series to this question that sounds just another way of saying the other questions here. Let's uh, place write this down. What does Scripture teach disciples about discipleship? Isn't that a good question? Let's go there. What does Scripture actually teach disciples about discipleship? Here's the spoiler, spoiler alert. It's not about each one of us becoming an Obi-Wan as individuals. I look at the scripture we're going to show you here today, just one section. It's about all of us becoming the body of Christ together. If you have your Bible with you, let me show what we're talking about. Let's open up to the book of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible at home, we would, uh, you can just go to Bible.com and download a free Bible app. All right, Ephesians. I love Ephesians. It's a real first century letter. It was written by a first century follower of Jesus named Paul. When we first met Paul, in this series anyway, way back in week one, he went by the name of Saul, and he was as anti a Christian as you're going to find. In fact, on our continuum, he, was, he started to the left of not interested. He ended to the right of disciple maker. So he went on quite a journey in his own life. Let's take a look at what he can teach us about how the Great Commission works. Let's start with Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. And it starts like this. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord. And I'm going to hit pause this early into chapter 4 here. To say, when you see a therefore in Scripture, one of the first things you should ask is, what is it? 
What is it there for? You know how this works. All right, it, it, in, in this particular passage, in this particular letter, the therefore is a dividing point in this whole letter. Chapters 1 through 3 are one thing, and then there's the therefore, and then it shifts. In, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul summarizes the gospel story. And I would encourage you, if you've never read it before or haven't read it for a while, read this, those first three chapters. He, he does this beautiful job of summarizing how this really is good news, really good news. Remember, he's writing from prison. While we were still going our way, he says, chasing our personal desires down a path that was taking us further and further away from God, God chose us. He adopted us as his own. In him, we find forgiveness of sins. In him, we find new life. The good news is so good, it's really interesting. Paul even starts to pray right in the middle of his letter. He just, he starts praying. He's like, Lord, that they may know you better. That they may know you better. That's what we find before the therefore. And on the other side of the therefore, the part that we're going to look at right now, Paul turns the corner and says, now let's talk application here. This is who God is. This is what he's about. This is what he's done. Now let's talk about what God would have us to do. Let's go there. So let's go there. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start a with verse 1. We'll go through verse 6 here. So I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord, I urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body. There's one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. All right, let's talk about this a little bit. Unity, oneness are huge themes in Ephesians. And unity and oneness, they're getting even harder to find than Obi-Wan's, aren't they? I'm seeing a lot of nods here. Maybe you're nodding too. It's getting hard to find. True Christian maturity, Paul writes, it's about humility. It's about patience. It's about an eagerness to maintain what he calls unity in the spirit. These are the kind of things that build community. I came across this quote when I was researching what scholars had to say about this section around the therefore in his letter to the Ephesians. This would be a great quote for those of you who are in a small church. This would be a great quote to talk about. The higher reaches of the Christian life cannot be attained in isolation from one's fellow believers. And again, amen to that. You just can't do it on your own. There's a Greek word that occurs about 40 times just in Paul's letters. It's sometimes translated in English as one another. We're called to serve one another. We're called to love one another. We're called to build one another up. We're called to bear one another's burdens and submit to each other and encourage each other as part of a new gathering of believers that Jesus referred to as his church. How significant is this in the book of Ephesians? Let me show you what the Ephesians, this is not all of it, this is a lot of it. What Ephesians says about the church, this is one six chapter, just six chapter 
letter. The church is part of God's plan to bring everything under Christ. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the cornerstone of the church. Christ is the savior and sanctifier of the church. Christ gives church ministry workers. Christ loved and sacrificed himself for the church. Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. The church is Christ's bodies, and individual believers are members. Church members submit to Christ. Church members dwell and grow in Christ. The church is a means through which God manifests his wisdom, a holy temple where God lives by his spirit, a family made up of those who have been adopted as God's children and designated as heirs. The church is the body of Christ. The, look at this, the full expression of Christ in the world with Christ as the head. Christ's pure bride, the one he died for, cares for, cherishes, will live in union with him forever. And what do you think about this last one? Check this out. The church is a showcase of his grace. We could do a whole month on that, couldn't we? In a world where there's so little grace anymore, what if we were the showcase of grace? All right, now let's start connecting some dots here. Let's look at how Paul now connects all of this with discipleship. This is Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to go verses 1, let's see, verses 11 through 12. Let me just confirm that that's what I really want to do right now. Yes, it is. All right, 11 through 12. And Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Now, right here you'll start to notice unity is not conformity. We're not all pointed to become everybody, be all everything in one person. There's, there's this beautiful body imagery with Christ as the head and us as many parts of it. One of the commentaries I looked at put it this way. Everyone has the same task, building the body, even though the responsibilities vary. And Paul lists some of the outcomes, some of the outcomes when all the parts are working together. So let's keep reading verses 13 through 16. Look at some of these outcomes. We'll all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature personhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When we live this out, we mature. When we live this out, we're unified and aligned with truth. We live this out, we're no longer vulnerable as a naive little child. We're no longer pulled this way and that way by the culture. And we're less likely to be deceived by human cunning or deceitful schemes. That sounds like discipleship, doesn't it? When we live this out together, we make mature disciples together. Discipleship and church, these aren't two different boxes that we check. 
They're related to one another. Amen. In fact, I'd invite you to write this down. Christian disciple-making is the work of the Holy Spirit primarily through the church. Not an institution, not a building, the people of God. There's good news for those who don't feel equipped to be everything that others need us to be. The primary biblical model for discipleship, as I look through the scriptures, it's for all of us, all of us, all of us to join the Holy Spirit in his work out around the world and internally in us to do it together. One of his letters, in one of his letters to the Corinthians, Paul put it like this. He said, so with yourself, since you're eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church, this body. If you want to say yes to Jesus' great commission to make disciples, but you're not sure how. If you feel like disciple-making is something you should be doing, but that sounds so intimidating because you feel like you got so much to learn, I've got good news. You'll actually be a better disciple-maker when it's less me, it's more we. You, us, Holy Spirit, all of us working together as one. If you haven't already guessed this next blank, here it is. We're at a disciple-making best when we make disciples together. Well, if you could take out your continuums one more time, I want to show you something here. When it comes to bodybuilding, all of these help build the body. Because if you're building yourself, you're helping to build the body. There's two on this list that have a direct and immediate impact on others. And that's the serve and the give. I used to get uncomfortable asking people to serve and give. If I'm going to be faithful to the scriptures, those are two fundamentals. And those are the ones that actually help others so directly. And what you're experiencing right now, those of you who are in this room, and those of you who are watching online, you're experiencing this right now. Let me just make this as, as simple as we can. Um, if we don't give, if we don't serve as God's people, studio church doesn't happen. Online church doesn't happen. It's that simple. So from the group gathered here, what are some examples, specific examples of, of something that wouldn't be happening right now with studio church or online church if we didn't give or didn't serve? One of those two things. What would be an example of something that wouldn't be happening right now? There'd be no coffee. There we go. It's simple. So, and this might sound, this is going to, might be, feel like a stretch, but it's not. If you're helping to make and provide for coffee, you're helping to make disciples. It's part of this bigger picture. A lot of times you don't think of it that way. That's like, that's my piece, right? What's another example? Something that wouldn't be happening if somebody wasn't serving or someone hadn't given. Setting up and taking down, absolutely. So we'll focus on right here, but so like setting down and taking up all this. If people didn't set up things, if they didn't get cameras ready to go, didn't plug in the different cords, the microphones, didn't bring instruments, didn't turn on lights. What would be some more examples? Clean up, yeah. If we're not cleaning up, you don't have the great environment to walk into. You can't find the stuff. What else? Another example. What's that? Even having lights, exactly. Purchasing the lights, hanging the lights, wiring the lights, paying for the electricity. Every detail, it, it all. If we don't serve, if we don't give, 
none of this happens. But we pool our resources, we pool our talents. Each person does their part. And you're able to watch these services. You're able to engage these services. You're able, those of you who are discerning whether or not this could possibly be a church home. This is what happens. And then at the community center, same types of things, right? We could say that. Or beyond this, all the things we're doing with kids. When you're serving in kids' ministry, you're making disciples. Those of you who are on the front lines in a small group, those of you who are helping to set up and take down, those of you who are helping to purchase equipment for your tithes and offerings. Same thing with our youth. Compassion clinic. Churches coming together. We can't do it if people don't serve. We can't do it if people don't give. And these people are blessed. The body of Christ. And it's especially beautiful when we break down these artificial barriers that we put in the way of the unity of Christ. So many different ways. You know, if, if we had unlimited time, I would love to go through an exhaustive breakdown of just one week. Just one week. You know, just some highlights. Youth group had their last youth group on Sunday. We don't serve, we don't give. Those kids don't have this place where they had this remarkable time. They had a grill out back. They had basketball hoop, nine square. There were some visitors, I think, were their first time or about the first time that were saying, this, thank you, this was so great. To have a safe place where they can come and hear about Jesus. Sunday services. You know, th this last weekend, we had hundreds of people at the Shoreview Community Center. About one-third of our church is under the age of 12. None of that happens if people aren't caring for these kids. People aren't welcoming them. That same afternoon, we had a recital, a piano recital right in here. Is, is, I don't know if Jason might have to step up for us. Are there, what was it about how many people were not from our church? Or, about 50 people in this room, not from our church, having a wonderful experience, asking questions. Wait a minute, because this so breaks the paradigm of what Christianity could be, what church could be. The next day, in the, the afternoon, teaching team was meeting in a room right right over there, a room that's been beautifully designed. Jeremy made the beautiful conference table. People wired it so we were able to, to put all these things up on the screens. We were able to brainstorm people who have teaching gifts, people who have creative gifts. We had a volunteer come in to help give a woman's perspective into all of these things. It was so beautiful. That afternoon later, or that evening, nominating committee met there. And because of this equipment, we were able to zoom in nominating committee members from Lake Tahoe. Can't believe that Dave was calling in from Lake Tahoe. Dave, if you're watching. You know, and then Tim from Florida, Jacksonville, Florida, was great to be able to plan because nothing affects everything like leadership. And this group of people were able to start now for our, our, our elections in February so we can really pray and discern and try to get godly people in these positions. I could go on and on. This is just a week. And this is just things that I know about. None of that happens if we don't give, if we don't serve. We can't all be Obi-Wans. I'm so thankful for people in my life who knew a lot, but nobody knows everything about everything. You know, but we can all give, we can all serve. And in this series, we've been providing specific examples along the way. We've shared those stories that we've shared of the difference it can make when people come together. Think back on those stories. Jade, Ron, Carly, myself, Jason, Dan. There wasn't one person in all of our lives, any of our lives, that was the one person. It's people working together, coming together. 
as we bring this series to a close, here's our invitation. And it's an invitation for all ages, all ages. Those of you, teens, kids, if you're watching, this is all of us. What is your next bodybuilding step this summer? Let's make it practical like Paul did. In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about serving with your gifts. In 2 Corinthians 8 through 9, in eight, yeah, eight, nine, he does something similar with giving. So if you want to see us to disciple making, just serve and give. Identify as best you can where you think you're at, and then pray about what's your next step. Well, the worship band's going to play a short instrumental to give you a little bit of time to think and pray through that. And I want to take you, take a, invite you to take a moment to circle where you are right now and ask the Holy Spirit to help you take your next step. And then together, let's help more people become more like Jesus. Let me pray. Lord, this next song that we close with, this song that has been an anthem in this series, Father, as we sing, I speak Jesus, may we make a commitment to not just use words, but to do that with our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said,